Thanks for downloading the Arc Tactic Podcast. I'm Adam Green. In this week's episode, we're here with dealer, writer, and curator Kenny Schachter, just in time to get his thoughts on this week's upcoming auctions, as well as Freeze Week. Kenny, it's great to chat with you. How have you been? Very well. Thank you for having me. Before we get into the auctions, uh, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about Freeze Week and uh, the fair upcoming. Um, I know we're recording this early in the week, so you haven't had a chance to make it out to the fair yet, but what are you hearing in terms of how things are shaping up and how the market might be this week? Well, I've been practicing some freeze avoidance in a way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty saturated. At this point, there's a load of auctions coming up in October. I've recently written about the four sales that were between London and New York in September. I was just teaching a graduate class on <clears throat> art and economics and having to analyze all of the pieces coming up now. And that's before even the major, major sales of November. If you look at the sales calendar for this November, I think it could be the most at Christie's alone. If you look at the calendar itself, the entire calendar is marked except for maybe two or three days in the, throughout November for, for slated for auctions from all various departments. But there's just a gigantic saturation of fair sales, um, biennials, it never stops, but somehow the market continues to absorb it. And this is what's going to happen. So I would say just from the nature of being in working in my house in London and having the incredible people that are in town and that I'm seeing stopping by, it's almost as if you don't have to go to the fair because I'm not really looking to purchase <coughs> any, <coughs> excuse me, I've been ill, any fair art, but at the same time, of course, it behooves me to go and I'm going tomorrow to both I'm more excited about Freeze Masters than the Freeze itself. I think the quality level is much higher and it's way more consistent. And again, by nature of the intensity of the people that are here, the level, I, I can only think that business is, continues to do well. And for sure, I'm certain, we'll speak again, I'm sure before the November sales, they will, in my mind, absolutely a record will be achieved for a high in the November sales of Impressionist Modern and Contemporary in New York. We're going to touch on a few artworks specifically that are upcoming at auction and even touch on some other artists' markets. But before we get into that, let me ask you, looking broadly at the auctions this week and the catalogs this week, do you have an assessment in terms of the quality of the art for sale just overall this auction season here in October in London? And um, does the overall type of art for the sale give you any indication about the market? Well, I mean, I think it's a very good question. When I first moved here and there was a boom between 2004 and 2007, there was a lot of rhetoric to the extent that London was going to, at one point, even possibly surpass New York for the scale uh, and breadth of business that would be done here. During the major sales in London are not now. They're in February and June, July. They keep pushing further and further. But these are always considered to be interim sales, and they're never something to peg the actual market on. I think the quality is wildly intermittent and inconsistent. If you're selling a great piece of art, even though there's a number of major pieces like the painting by Peter Doig that will crack $20 million, this is just not the time or the place to show major pieces. So these are very much intermediate level and quality sales. So because of the nature of this, we're going to see spotty results. And this is certainly not a barometer that you can gauge the rest of the season. I mean, the rest of the season for me, meaning the November sales and then the May sales in New York. So despite people's talks to the effect that London could potentially surpass New York, at any time, the sales are 10 times greater in November than they are in the February sales, and the same holds true for May versus June, July. New York dwarfs the London market by 10 to 1. 
and that will continue. And again, I think we'll see some extraordinary results and we'll see some extraordinary disappointments because there's just a load of material. There's a Lambert sale like that Christie's took over from Depuri and are now orchestrating the sale through Mallet, which was is an antique company where it was originally going to be staged. In that sale, there's, it's just a complete mishmash of everything from random furniture. It's just a random collection of one person's private collection, and the quality goes from zero to some very significant and beautiful Christopher Wool paintings. So it's going to be hard, again, to use this as any sort of gauge of what's going to happen, because what's going to happen and set the tone for the spring will be November in New York, and I can tell you that will be extraordinary. Let's get in now to some specific artworks uh, that, uh, in conjunction with talking about today, are also in our Art Forecaster game. So great always to have you on to hear your predictions on some artworks ahead of the auctions, which is so rare to get uh, from anyone in the art world. So uh, for starting one, with Chris... One day you're going to have to go back and check all my past results and see how accurate I was in uh, retrospect, or maybe actually you shouldn't do that. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to know. Uh, all right. So Christopher Wall is the first artist we're going to look at. He has, a, he has more than a few works uh, in the auctions over the next few days, one of which is uh, a work from the 90s at Phillips. It's in their evening sale. It's one and a half to two and a half million pounds. It's a large work on aluminum um, from 1994. Okay, actually, it, I, actually, it's not a large work at all. It's, it, it, oh. it's 42, 42 by 30 inches or 100 by approximately 75 centimeters. So what makes this such a valuable work is the year. And when an artist is still, Christopher Wool is, I would say, just around 60 years old and his body of work is very consistent, very strong, but also very plentiful. If you look at these sales between the three auction houses, there must be at least five major scale works for sale of Christopher Wool. And again, success breeds success and the market affirms what's come successfully before it. And this certainly holds true with Christopher Wool. So when high prices are achieved, achieved, most notably for his text piece that went for 30 million, his auction record for an abstract painting is 8.9 million for a black and white piece with some flowers in the motif. So this piece, which is spray paint, I mean, it's Gagosian just opened the most exquisite gallery with an estate show of works by Cy Twombly, just a stone's throw from Phillips. And this is a beautiful painting. And in a way, it's like a destructive painting where it's no more than this collection of squiggled spray paint lines. But it's it's an elegant painting. It's a beautiful painting. It's strongly valued for such a small painting. But I think because of the year and because it's a very coveted subject matter, his spray paint works as opposed to maybe the washes or the dots or various other phases, which are less valuable in the abstract realm, this work will do, I would suggest, probably all in very close to the high estimate. All right. That's a great assessment of the work. And yeah, you're right. It is a smaller work. I was reading the centimeters instead of inches. Uh, let's move to Christie's where there is another Christopher Wool there. It is, uh, its estimate is less than half of the one which we just talked about. It's 500,000, 700,000 pounds from 1986, 72 right. by 48 inches. <clears throat> it's funny because if you put this on the wall and put a label that said Lucian Smith rain painting, it would be almost indistinguishable from a Lucian Smith piece, which I recently, when I gave my lecture in Zurich, I added slides of Lucian Smith to two pieces. There were two very similar pieces from this series. 
that are both at Sotheby's and Christie's. The fact is, this is a large work, relatively speaking, 72 by 48 inches or 182 centimeters on the big dimension. It's from 86, which is earlier than the other paint, painting, but not as iconic. And that's why it's a much bigger work with a much lower estimate because the first body of work that he did with the spray paint, in a way, it's kind of going in a creatively destructive way past a Twombly scribble painting. It's almost like the destruction of abstraction. And this piece, which is more decorative with the dots, it has a very low estimate. So for the money and for 72 inches at an estimate of $750,000 on the low estimate, I've actually been involved with some of his works on paper in the market, the paintings on paper mixed with silk screen or paint. And I've seen works on paper, smaller, go for between one to one and a half million dollars. Uh, so really that uh, 750000 for a major size painting from the 80s, even though it's not the most covetable series, it has to do better than the high estimate. It's just priced too cheaply. Unless there's a condition issue that I'm not aware of. Mm-hmm. And moving up back to Phillips, there's a Rudolph Stingle, uh, untitled, it's a large work from 96, 97, 700,000 to a million pounds. What do you think about this one? This is a beautiful painting of very kind of dark blue mixed with black. But again, it's not the, the pieces where the market is paid. Recently, Stingle made two records, $4.7 million, one for a cast copper piece and one for an early instruction painting, which are from the early 90s. So in a sense, like some artists, the work reaches a certain stage where it becomes more universally embraced, certainly in the market. And this particular work by Stingle is just prior to his much more coveted sought after work. In early instruction paintings where we first showed them at Paul Cooper, he accompanied the show with an instruction booklet that would literally teach you step by step on how to make every painting that was in the show. So again, this is a kind of process, abstracted abstraction, a beautiful painting, but important, it comes from the estate of the plastic surgeon who recently committed suicide in New York. I can't recall his name. His collection of 18 pieces had been guaranteed at Phillips. So from my understanding, from the birdies flying around in Phillips, this is guaranteed. You see the little symbols in the catalog to indicate so. And somewhere I think around, it should make a million pounds. So I think even though the estimate is 700 to a million, which is about a million and a half dollars, again, it's a major size and beautiful imposing painting. He recently just attained, he tied his record at 4.7 in a sale at Phillips and a sale at, I believe it was Christie's in New York in May. So I would say that this would certainly potentially even do more than a million, but most probably around the million pound mark. And the last artwork we're going to look at specifically is from the Chinese artist Ai Weiwei. This is a sculpture, Ray Bar 38. It's from Phillips Day Sale, 60 to 80,000 pounds. Well, Ai Weiwei, as you know, he's just been released from house arrest after four years, I think it was. And there's a concurrent show with this auction at the Royal Academy of Art that's been widely acclaimed, the exhibition. So these things frequently will buttress the market when an auction first happens with an artist's work that's recently been on exhibit in a retrospective to this extent. I believe the show will be traveling and now for the first time in years, the artist himself is traveling. So I look for this piece to do well. I mean, something that I've spoken about in the past and written about is the fact that Ai Weiwei has this incredible level of production and I'm very much a fan of the work and how he sort of packages together his political activism with his conceptualism. At the same time, there's another piece in the auction, which is a ceramic watermelon, and the piece is listed as a unique work. 
And for a fact, I know there are at least 30 with a smooth surface and 30 with a ridged surface. And these nuances about, in the past, multiples and additions used to be in separate sales, and they were certainly delineated as such. And one of the issues, I think, with Ai Weiwei and a number of other artists, if there's a vein running up the leg of a chair in a certain direction, differently from the vein of the marble in another chair, they're, 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 they're determined to be unique pieces, but they're far from it. So these kind of, it's a vague area where artists, and especially people like Ai Weiwei and maybe Damien Hurst to some extent, where uh, these things are additions, but I'm not even sure Ai Weiwei would know how many Coca-Cola, how many vases that he's painted the word Coca-Cola on and they can trade for $500,000. So it's a bit of a gray area. And I think in some cases, the artist may not even know himself. Wow. All right. And now we're going to look into a couple of artists that are uh, have really interesting markets at the moment. The first of which is Jonas Wood, who has about five or six different paintings up for auction uh, this week. And uh, there's been a lot of buzz about him lately. What's your takeaway about him as an artist and his market? I think, I mean, he's, he's obviously, I mean, I find it interesting. He's definitely of the moment today. Again, it's the same scenario as Christopher Wool. When an artist begins to make money at auction and succeeds at auction, which is a totally different market sometimes from the primary market, as soon as there is the least bit of success, works come onto the market. So when Oscar Murillo, for instance, first had his achieved the price of a few hundred thousand, which is about a 5,000% gain over a one or two year period, the next day, a friend of mine from Christie's called and there were 35 Oscar Murillo paintings in his inbox. And that's really the mentality of the market. So with Jonas, I think the work is very interesting. I mean, there's been for sure a very much of a market setback for a lot of younger artists. Jonas Wood was born in 77. So he's not as young as some of the other rising people that have been mentioned a lot in the press recently about their meteoric rises and then falls. So he sort of a generation slightly beyond that. He's been working in California for ages. He's taught, I heard that I listened to a radio interview with him not so long ago. Half of it was about how his market was born. And the other half was how he was teaching painting and he was teaching it so technically and fundamentally he was fired by the teachers, by the students and the teachers for the fact that he was teaching the Cal arts. And then he insisted on the students learning the fundamentals of having to paint. So I think there's a Hockney-esque kind of joyous celebration of color. His interiors are very complex and beautiful compositions. So they're very appealing. There's a major painting coming up at Christie's, which is on the large side. I think it's above 10 feet, maybe 12 feet. So it's a little bit prohibitive because of the scale, but I wouldn't be surprised to see that painting either get very close to or surpass $1 million. Right now, his auction record is about six hundred and ten or six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. He has a stellar show at Lagosian right now, and I'm just mad. It's a matter of moments. If it hasn't already, it's sold out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a quick qual- a follow up about that. So you can you mentioned how Jonas is a little bit older than some of the emerging artists who had significant price escalations over the past couple of years at auction. And those, a lot of those artists' prices have come back down. Does the fact that Jonas has seemingly significant gallery representation, better gallery representation than some of those younger artists um, who ha- had those price escalations at auction, is that something that collectors and people in the in the industry look at and you know say, okay, maybe this is absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I always say in in the classes that I teach that when an artist is first getting started. The gallery behind the artist who's buying it and who's selling it 
I mean, not to be facetious or to be flippant, but it's almost more important than the art itself. So if you look at an artist, like I mentioned before, Oscar Murillo, theoretically, his market would have been decimated right now after this kind of bloodbath in this flipping emerging sector of the market. But because he has representation, the best representation out of the whole generation of these artists that were deemed to be artists that were over-speculated and flipped regularly, he ended up with David Warner, and it's been a saving grace for his market. So he literally, among that younger generation, I mean, he's only still in his 20s. He has a show now in London at David Werner's Gallery, which is to be held concurrently with Freeze is a major uh, move by the gallery to support him in that way. So really, there's very few galleries that have the stature today, just like there are even very few museums that can still, and critics that can have an impact on an artist's market. It used to be the museums and the critics and the galleries. Now it's mostly the collectors and their private museums that help the booster an artist's exposure, like the Rebels is a perfect example. They also propelled Oscar in the beginning of his career. So um, I think that with Jonas Wood showing at Gagosian famously, he refused to let Larry, Larry Gagosian sell his work well into after the show has been open for a week, which just makes people clamor more. And he's going to wait and try to place him with institutions, of course. So I think it's a logical way to hold people at bay and continue to grow the interest in his work. Very clever. And let's look at another artist in his market, Andre Butzer. What is your takeaway from that, from his market? I think it's interesting. He, there was some very awful auctions in both New York and then I mentioned during the course of September, which if you ask me, they should have been held on the internet only. It's just literally a glut. And at some point, it's not going to be November, and I probably would say that it won't be May either. At some point, there has to be a setback in the market because the market cannot continue to reach higher and higher from 100 million to 140 million to 180 million. Nothing goes up forever, not even Picasso. So sooner or later, people are going to get a bit, there'll be a bit of a flattening off, probably a drop at some extent. And at that point, they're just going to have to curtail all of these excessive uh, number of auctions that they're conducting today. But Andre Butzer had a piece in Phillips in September. The piece was estimated at 15 to 20 and it made $143,000. And that was wildly exciting for him, his market. Again, he's a bit even older than Jonas. He's still young. He was born in 1973. And to make a record that was so dramatically above the low, the high estimate in a sale that generally was awful, because like the stock markets, if an auction is depressing and grim and things are going down, like when stock market goes down a thousand points in two days, good companies the good, the bad, and the ugly all go down, including very successful, efficiently run companies. So in a sale that was so terrible to buck the trend and to do so dramatically better was a big move. There was one piece I noticed, I think it's at Sotheby's, I'm not certain, but it's a beautiful, colorful, figurative work. He paints in a mixture of figuration and abstraction, often with these kind of cartoon-infused characters. They have a lot of activity going on on the surface of the canvas. There's a beautiful one coming up. And the estimate, again, because... By the time when you agree to put something into auction, there could be a lag time of six months before you finally see the sale transpire. So this piece was obviously arranged months and months ago. The estimate is around fifteen to twenty thousand. So I think that Andrew Butzer will maintain the momentum in his market up. And the last artist we're going to touch on is Ella Kuglianskaya. I hope I didn't butcher you, that you, too you much. Said it, you said it better than I would try. Nice. I mean, All it's right. a very interesting story. There yeah, was just an article by Jerry Saltz. Sorry, there was just an article 
find Jerry Saltz about like bad girl artists. And there's people yeah. like Dana Schutz and Catherine Bernhardt, who has a show in London right now that's sold out at Carl Friedman Gallery. And, and um, Nicole Eisenman, for instance, has a painting in the sales here. And she's just moved galleries and moved to Anton Kern. She's had very interesting museum recognition of her work. She just won the MacArthur Grant, a MacArthur Genius Grant. So again, this kind of genre of artists, if you could call it that, I think are all slated for wider acceptance publicly and <clears throat> in the markets as well. And Ella Huglanskaya, I think her work is, has not been included in the dialogue about these other peers of hers. I even mentioned her name to Jerry Salt after he wrote the article but she has a first major piece that's coming up at a night sale. I believe the estimate is 40 to 60,000 pounds. And Dana Schutz, who paints not so much in a very similar vein, but somehow it has the same sort of energy, wild, colorful energy with lots of, again, <clears throat> shards of abstraction and figuration, more realistic than Butzer. But I think that I'm, Dana Schutz has reached almost a million dollars, if not a million dollars, and Ella's paintings, I'm not sure of what her auction record is. I can't imagine she's had more than a small handful of works come up at all, if that. And I would look for her to be to reach a, to reach higher prices and a higher audience. I think the work is very engaging. Kenny, thanks so much for coming on, as always, <clears throat> and uh, you know, sharing your incredible insight on the market as well as certain artists and artworks coming up for auction. And will you be doing any writing this week for freeze or the auctions? Hopefully I'll make it to Freeze because I'm due to write about it for, for Artnet again. I'll be heading to FIAC, which is unbelievably just like the auctions are right on the heels from one to the next. FIAC in Paris, which is a very interesting fair. I think it rates much better than Freeze over the past number of years. And that opens on Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. So upon my return from FIAC, I'll have an article coming out in about 10 days in Artnet. Perfect. Looking forward to reading it. Thanks again, as always, Kenny. We appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you for having me again.